Hello and welcome to Employment Talk. We're here to discuss the HR issues affecting you and keep you up to date with the latest employment law news. I'm Glenn Hayes, National Head of Employment Law at Irwin Mitchell. Hi, I'm Jo Mosley. I'm a professional development lawyer at Irwin Mitchell. I write our blogs and newsletters and I keep the team and our clients up to date with what's happening in the world of employment law. So, Joe, you're going to go on holiday next week. What's I on the agenda? Yeah, I bet. What, for my what's, holiday? Yeah. <laughs> Lots of eating. <laughs> what's, on the, what's on the agenda for today, then? Well, I thought we would talk about relationships at work, particularly romantic ones. All right, Joe, any particular reason for that? I'm a happily married man. You don't need to uh, show your feelings for me now. <laughs> All right, there's no need to laugh that loud. <laughs> Right. Um, I've picked this topic because there have been a couple of high profile cases this year where senior people have been forced out of their jobs because of relationships that they've had with work colleagues. So you'll remember the one about Philip Schofield. He had a relationship with a much younger colleague and he was promptly removed from this morning. More recently, a guy called Bernard Looney, what a great name, who was the CEO of BP, resigned because he failed to disclose all of the relationships he'd had with other members of staff before becoming CEO, which was in breach of BP's policy. Wow. I know. I was I was a bit perplexed by that because yeah. apparently he had disclosed some relationships, but not all. And I thought that was quite an odd state of affair. I mean, I suppose it's how... dishonesty, though, isn't it? If he's purported to disclose them all, not not done so. Oh, oh, absolutely. I was more perplexed by the fact that you know, how many relationships can one man have with staff? (laughs) And I felt that, you know, you know, the the interests of um, fairness, it's helpful to put that into some sort of context. Apparently, he is now 53 years old and has spent all of his working life at BP. So we could be talking about someone that worked there for 30 years. So I suppose, you know, if you're free and single. Working his way through the staff. Yeah, allegedly. Anyway. So, Glenn, what are your thoughts about workplace romances? Do you think employers should put in place policies to regulate them or should they ban them altogether? What do you reckon? I'm a bit jaundiced because we tend to see them when they go wrong. So, um, I mean, we've got a few uh, husband and wife teams that work here and it seems to work pretty well. Um, I suppose the context really is relevant. So, you know, lots of people meet their partners at work because you spend a lot of time there. So it's inevitable that people will get together. Mm. So I think it's um, I think it's unrealistic to think that employers can ban them. But what a lot of employers do, and this there's some sense to this definitely, is to put in place a framework to ensure the p- potential issues are addressed. So things like conflict of interest, confidentiality, and, and what the potential fallout where the relationship ends is. So, you know, that's certainly the bit where I've seen quite a lot of um, things in the employment sphere. Yeah, yeah. I had a quick look on our internet actually before we came online to do this. I don't think we have a policy on relationships of work. Are you aware of one? No, um, I suppose it's a trust thing though. So I think if if one of my team had influence over another member of the team, for example, so let's say for argument's sake, they were directly line managing them or they were setting pay or you know whatever, then I think under those circumstances, I'll expect some form of disclosure to take place other than that i don't think i really need to know or want to know about um you know interfering people's personal lives really so yeah yeah absolutely 
So you mentioned that work is a good place for people to meet their partners. YouGov did a survey in 2020 looking at how people found love, to quote them. Would you like to guess, Glenn, how many people said they had met their current or most recent partner at work? Do we have to do it on the basis of how many have found love or how many people have entered into a relationship? I don't, well, I think that's a euphemism, actually. Found okay. love bit. <laughs> Fine. OK, I'll take a stab at the percentage then. Uh, how many people have found? 23%. Hey, that's really close. 20%. Oh, wow. That's still 20%. quite high, though, right? Yeah, but not as high as it used to be. Um, there was some data, sort of 10, 12 years ago, which suggested that almost double that wow. uh, percentage of people met people through work at that stage. But I guess, I'm just trying to think, when was online dating a thing? I don't know. You, you tell me, Joe. <laughs> I've been married for 30 years. <laughs> they didn't have, um, there was no such thing as the internet when I met my husband. <laughs> so. Let's focus then on the legal issues. There's a good reason why most organisations don't ban relationships between staff, and that's rooted in human rights legislation. So can you talk our listeners through that, please, Glenn? Yeah, so you're, I think, referring to Article 8 of the Human Rights Act. So yeah. everyone has the right to respect for his private and family life. So, you know, employers included should respect that. So there's, it means they've got a right to form personal relationships, but it's not an absolute right because it can be qualified in some circumstances. Yeah. So if the employer is going to interfere with that right, there's got to be a legitimate aim for doing so, which could, in theory could be relatively easy to establish. And then they've got to demonstrate that the measures it takes in pursuance of that aim are proportionate. And what's proportionate will depend on the circumstances. So it's unlikely that an absolute ban on relationships will be proportionate in most cases, but they might be able to justify ban on relationships, for example, between senior managers and junior staff or where it's going to impact on the working relationship. Yeah, yeah. I know that McDonald's used to have a policy in place which banned relationships between employers who had a direct or indirect reporting relationship to each other. So the scenario that you were talking about a moment ago. Nothing says love like flipping a burger, does he? Well, you know, (laughs) each to their own. Their eyes met over a Big Mac. Are you talking from personal experience? (laughs) No, No, frankly, no. No, no. Well... In 2019, McDonald's CEO was sacked for having a consensual relationship with a colleague that breached that policy. And of course, we've already talked about the CEO of BP who resigned because he didn't disclose who he'd had relationships with. And as you say, these policies, if they're justifiable, can have real teeth and employers can rely on breaches of them to fairly dismiss staff that breach them. Yeah, well, look, employers can put in place rules that staff have to follow, but they've got to be reasonable in the first place. Yeah. And the, the best way really is to strike a fair balance between protecting legitimate business interests and the right for staff to decide who they go out with. So, you know, that's that the best place to do that really is to put in place a policy. OK, so can you give our listeners some advice about what to include in a policy then, Glenn? Yeah, so um, I think most organisations would set out the standard of behaviour they'd expect all staff to follow. So, for example, you said we didn't have one, but it's, the, the material is probably found in other policies regarding professionalism at work, for example. So, you know, in terms of professionalism, you'd expect people to maintain a distance at work. You know, nobody wants to be alongside somebody who can't keep their hands off 
uh, another member of staff, for example. And that's really about manners, respect for others and behaving in an appropriate way. Yeah. The, the real issue, though, is where the relationships uh, are where one part is in a position of authority over the other. So it's important, I think, for employers to know about those sorts of relationships. If they, if they develop, I'm not talking about, you know, necessarily if it's, you know, very early doors or whatever. Um, but that's that's something that's often set out in a policy, because I think in those circumstances, there are there are risks of conflicts of interest. You know, there are risks of lack of impartiality, particularly, for example, if they supervise their partner, how can they be objective? You know, they might have the final say or salary and bonuses, etc. Um, you know, it could damage morale or create resentment within the team if co-workers either rightly or wrongly believe that their colleagues get preferential treatment because of their relationship with the, somebody else's relationship with the boss. You yeah. know, they could share confidential information, for example, so-called pillar talk. So, you know, there's a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of things where you might need to, employees might need to justifiably think about inserting some rules to, to ensure that everybody, um, those relationships aren't abused for want of a better phrase. Yeah, yeah. And there's also, of course, the issue of what happens if the relationship turns sour. You know, you, there's likely to be a breakdown in the rela- working relationship. Yeah. Employers might have to deal with grievances that arise from that. And we see harassment claims, don't we? Less favourable cl- treatment claims. And ultimately, an employer may have to decide that it has to get rid of one of them or both of them because they can no longer work together. And on that point, have you dealt with many cases where those sorts of problems have arisen, Glenn? Well, I think, um, sadly, yes. I think we see it quite a lot where husband and wife split up, for example. Um, and, you know, if you can't work together, then, the, you know, the employer might need to consider moving on one of the parties or both, like you say. So it's really tricky that because you shouldn't automatically move the more junior member of staff. So... For example, it could be sex discrimination to automatically move the more junior employee because statistically it's more likely to be a woman. Yeah. Um, where a close relationship is established between employees. But in terms of an unfair dismissal claim, you know, you can dismiss one party if there's a breakdown in the relationship, but you've got to act reasonably when deciding which one has to go. Uh-huh. So it's going to have to look at the business and see whether the relationship can be repaired, for example, at least not the personal relationship, but the working one. Yeah. But there is a potential fair reason there, some other substantial reason or even conduct if one party's behaved badly towards the others because the relationship's broken down. So, you know, it, if you forget that, if you put the relationship to, to one side, if two employees not in a relationship are knocking hell out of each other for whatever reason and don't get on, then it's the same situation really. And I think you have to, to tread quite carefully because it does happen where, you know, everybody thinks, you know, things are going to be forever and then it's not. All of a sudden, you've got to then deal with the fallout, which in theory has got nothing to do with work, but can quite easily and often um, be um, be brought into the workplace. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what practical advice can you give our listeners about how to deal with relationships between managers and the people that they supervise, Glenn? Yeah, well, uh, firstly, get get a policy. So, you know, set out the circumstances and when an employee has to tell the employer about the personal relationship. So, you know, how far into that relationship do they need to disclose it? Set out the circumstance when an employer has to tell the employer about the personal relationships. And that, that policy should really set out very clearly, um, you know, when that has to be done and, and how. 
you know, set out the person that they need to talk to. It could be HR, it could be somebody else. Explain why you need that information and what you'll then do with it. So, for example, you might have to reallocate line management, move one party to a different team with their consent or change shift patterns, you know, again, with consent to ensure relationships don't impact on the work or have some sort of mechanism in place to check salary and pay um, and, and mm. benefits issues, for example, so that they are um, it's free from um, bias and, and, and is objective. So look, we've recently developed a policy which is available free of charge to our AMHR Plus clients. Obviously, if there's any of our other listeners want it, we're happy to uh, sell it to them for a reasonable price. So that, you know, there's quite a lot you can do there um, and, and really speak to your employees you know, to, to make sure that there is some checks and balances in place, really. And in terms of a relationship at work policy, Glenn, we're not just talking here about sexual relationships, are we? We we can, you know, sometimes employers will want to know about family relationships because, of course, the same concerns can arise, can't they? So if you've got, I don't know, a stepdaughter that you that you end up supervising and you don't necessarily tell your employer about that relationship, again, there is a, you know, this the suggestion that you might be able to you might be making decisions about that person that are preferential that you're treating them in a different way than you would treat other members of staff yeah and i think that's the way to look at this really as to what you know it goes back to that legitimate aim so uh, do these relationships of whatever nature place people in a position where they the decisions might be influenced by something uh, whether it's a personal relationship or whatever. So, and if there, if if the answer to that is is yes or potentially yes, then you know some checks and balances might be useful in that situation. Okay, I want to come on to the issue of consent, Glenn, and I and I can understand why employers may want to know about relationships between colleagues where one is in a position of authority over the other. Should employers assume that those relationships are consensual, in your view? Uh, well, um, that's quite tricky, I think. So I suppose there could be concerns where there's a big age gap, for example, but I don't think we should make assumptions or moral judgments about it. And it's obviously potentially age discrimination if we assume that the older person in the relationship is taking advantage of the younger one, for example. But mm-hmm. I think I think what employers do need to be alive to, though, is the issue of power disparity. Yeah. So, you know, where the junior might member of staff might feel compelled to agree to go out with the senior person because they're worried about job security, for example. You know, you might want to check in with that junior person in the relationship, make sure everything's okay, but it's a really difficult conversation to have and it's going to have to be handled very carefully. Um, But I suppose the way to deal with it to say, look, you know, obviously if the relationship does cause any problems, because you can see where it might arise where, you know, the, the more senior person is about to be dumped or whatever and you know the the junior person's worried about the effect on the job about that then i suppose you can say to the to the person look if that relationship does cause problems then there is somebody here that at the organization to speak to about it you know whether it's hr or another manager so i think things like that really is probably the the, the better way to handle stuff yeah yeah i suppose it's about making sure that the culture of the organization makes it easy for staff to speak out if they've got concerns either about themselves or or a colleague yeah, definitely. So I think we're seeing more employers bringing in uh, speak out policies or, you know, they're often whistleblown policies, but they're often labelled yeah. speak out policies. But to encourage staff to raise any concerns that they have, either that impact them or others. So, But they're only really effective if the staff are confident that managers are going to actually do something with the information that's provided. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, so before we finish, I think it might be helpful just to mention that there are sectors where different rules apply to consensual relationships at work. And as you know, we've got a lot of clients in the education sector and it's a criminal act for a teacher to have a sexual relationship with a student under the age of 18, even if the relationship is consensual. Yeah. And that's because, of course, teachers are in a position of trust and the legislation is in place to protect students from being persuaded to have sex with a teacher, even though they're the, uh, over the age of consent. Yeah. And we also see um, a lot of policies which prohibit relationships between teachers and students, even when the students are aged 18 or over, if they're vulnerable. And that obviously includes people who can't care for themselves. And again, that's to protect them. Yeah. And that's because those sort of relationships are likely to amount to an abuse of power and probably professional standards and are usually treated as gross misconduct. But there's also um, policies in place in lots of colleges and universities which require teachers specifically or lecturers as they might be to declare any relationship that they have with a student who's aged 18 or over in order to make sure that there isn't any element of, of um, preferential treatment or the perception of it and they usually put in place a framework, for example, so that the teacher can't influence their grades. They may um, have to move them to somebody else that, to be their personal tutor and those sorts of arrangements. So very practical arrangements to make sure that the relationship itself doesn't influence the work that the student is doing and the grades that they get for it, I guess. Yeah, well, look, I mean, we do a lot with clients on unconscious bias, but this is more conscious bias in some cases, isn't it? So, yeah, you know, yeah. they the, the person knows exactly what they're doing and look let's not just assume that it's the the person who holds the power that that has the the potential problem here that you know it might be that the you know subordinate or the 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 pupil in that example or the you know the um person at university you know yeah. they might put pressure on the the person with the power to influence the grades rather than the other way around so yeah, yeah. you know it, it, it's really tricky but that, that's why that framework is quite important i think yeah brilliant well, that was really good Really enjoyed yeah. that. I'm still quite insulted that you laughed for about a good 10 minutes before. I mean, I... <laughs> Don't start me again. <laughs> I've right, only just that... got control of myself. Okay, well, on that note, uh, that's it for today. So if you want to get in touch, if you'd like our relationship at work policy, then drop us an email. Uh, otherwise, please tune in a fortnight if you want to hear more about the latest employment law updates alongside expert commentary. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks very much. Bye, everyone. <laughs>